0: Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you so much for today, Lord God. We thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity to gather around your word. Father, I just pray now, God, that you will be with us in this time, Lord, that you will speak to us, Lord God, today, that you would encourage our hearts, Lord God. I pray that even as I'm preaching, that this word would affect my heart in a fresh way, Father. Father, I pray now you'll take my mind and think your thoughts in my mouth and speak your words for your people who are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you like to go to a nice wedding? Right? Enjoy a nice wedding? Right? Um, weddings are really big in our culture in a lot of ways, right? Just a few months ago, there was this... Huge wedding in England, right? Uh, it was a royal wedding that everybody was super excited about. What's she wearing? What's he wearing? What's the food? I mean, just just everybody is really excited about weddings. I, I've been to a few weddings myself, including my own, as he said, I'm married. Um, but you know, I've, I've had the, the privilege of being in weddings. I, I, I've even, as a pastor, had the privilege of officiating weddings. And in most cases, say, as I was say, most cases, because there's so much drama in weddings, right? Um, there are grand, there are grand occasions and lots of joy and happiness. If you could even just think back to when you got married, if you're married and think about what that day was like, the joy and the excitement of that reality, then that'll give you a little bit of a feel into obviously probably what was happening here, right? In our text, there's a wedding happening, right? There's a wedding happening, but the text doesn't tell us anything about who the bride is or who the groom is. The text doesn't tell us who the father of the bride is or, or, or the groom's parents or, or, or any of that. And I believe the reason that it doesn't tell us any of that, because ultimately the point of John sharing this message at this wedding is because of what this ultimately points to. It points to the reality of Jesus and his glory. As we look at this text, we do see some of the guests that are at the wedding. If you look at, verse, if you look at the text and you, and you look in uh, verse 1, we see that Jesus' mother is at this wedding. Mary is at the wedding. And we're also told that Jesus is at the wedding along with some of his disciples. Probably the first five disciples that are talked about in John chapter 1, which Pastor Tommy has already walked through. But, but Jesus at this wedding Um, his mother is at this wedding, this wedding is is this this occasion that they're there, and what I want to do is I need to explain a little bit more about weddings in this time, that in this time whenever there were weddings, weddings were very different than the way that we have weddings today today we have weddings, it's like one day, it's a big thing right, and then it's kind of over, well in biblical days that's not the way that weddings worked in biblical days, weddings we're, we're more in in the situation of it would start with a betrothal period right and a betrothal would be something kind of similar to what we um what we would see today as engagement but way more serious to get out of a betrothal you actually had to go through a divorce uh so so there would be the betrothal period then there would be a period where the as sources say where the the groom and his friends would go to the bride's house and bring the bride and her friends back to the groom's house and then and then finally there would be these this wedding feast and and sometimes this would be up to seven days of partying dancing enjoying happiness right we think of that how much would that cost right? A seven-day wedding, right? If you look at the statistics of what people pay for weddings today just for one day, a few hours, but this these would last for seven days. This feast would have been, this wedding feast would have been a big event. It would have been one of the major social events in the area of Canaan at this time. And could you just for a moment Put on your sanctified imaginations and think about this event and, and the time and the, the food and the, and the dancing and, of course, the wine. And everything's going great until verse 3, where the text tells us that they run out of wine. And some of you might think, well, that's no big deal. They just ran out of wine. It's just really no big deal. But this was a huge deal because for them to run out of wine would have been of great embarrassment for the bride, the groom and their families, particularly the groom, because in this day, the groom paid for the wedding, unlike our tradition today. So everybody has a daughter can say amen to that, right? Uh, but, but, but it would have been a huge, huge uh, uh, embarrassment. Sources even say that the groom could actually be sued, maybe even by the bride's family, for not adequately serving the amount of wine that they actually needed for this party. Can you imagine that being sued because somebody came to your wedding and, 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 and just, they came to your wedding and didn't have enough wine? Uh, that, that's really crazy, but that's how serious it was at this time. Now, as, as we move into this, we're talking about wine. So we need to talk about alcohol. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> and so I want to just say a few things about alcohol as we continue to move on. But what I want us to understand first off is, is that this was really wine. Okay, it wasn't just grape juice. It was No, no, it was real wine at this wedding that was going on. And not only do I want to say that, I also want to say that the Bible doesn't say that drinking alcohol is a sin. The Bible says abusing alcohol, drunkenness is a sin. Amen? But the Bible also tells us not only that drunkenness is a sin, but the Bible also tells us that when it comes to alcohol, the wisdom is that if you're going to drink alcohol, you shouldn't, first of all, you shouldn't get drunk. But secondly, you shouldn't do it in a way that's actually going to cause another brother or sister in Christ to stumble. Amen. And for, for a lot of people, they, they should not drink alcohol probably at all because of past Situations, past history, the, the 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 chances of them being quicker to abuse alcohol, and all of those things. And it's important for us to talk about that because of how controversial alcohol is in the church. And here at a wedding, we see alcohol. Amen. And so and so, Jesus. Back back to the narrative. Jesus is uh, at this wedding. They run out of wine, and then we see something interesting happen um, in verse four. We see that. Or no, I'm sorry, in verse 3, we see that uh, Jesus' mom says to Jesus that there is no wine. And notice Jesus' response in verse 4. He says, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, at first glance, this could seem pretty disrespectful, right? Woman, like, you know, today when you say, like, that sounds disrespectful, right? But, But what we have to understand is, in those days... Uh, that were going on then, it, it wasn't a disrespectful term. That that some sources say that it could have been possibly the same as saying "ma'am." But what is interesting is is that it is that Jesus doesn't call his mother mother. He he calls her woman. And and what's so interesting about that is is that Jesus in this text is making a distancing between the mother-son relationship that he has with his mother to where now she needs to see him as her Lord and her King. Now, Jesus doesn't disrespect his mother. Jesus loves his mother. Jesus even provides for his mother. If you look at John chapter 19, Jesus, when he's on the cross, looks at his disciple and says, and his mother, and he says, Woman, behold your son, son, behold your, 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 uh, Uh, behold your mother and what Jesus is doing there is providing provisions for his mother because he's leaving earth to go to be with his father and so Jesus doesn't disrespect his mother Jesus doesn't not love his mother Jesus is setting the right boundaries with his mother because he's beyond his mother he's actually her God and her Lord And so he's talking and he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. This is actually even a light rebuke that Jesus has given to his mother. Jesus' mother might have some kind of agenda. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Maybe she's working the wedding and she's actually feeling bad about the fact that the wine's not there. Or maybe she's embarrassed for the family. They're going to be embarrassed because they don't have the wine. And, or maybe it's that she wants Jesus to show everybody that he's the Messiah clearly right then and there. But, but either way, Jesus wants his mother to know that there is a distinction that, yes, you raised me, yes, you, uh, you you, changed my diapers. Yes, you nursed me. Yes, you saw me take my first steps. But things have changed. My earthly ministry has begun. And you need to see me for who I've always been, even before the world existed. And that is God. And my agenda is not going to be directed by you. It can't be. But, even, but, but get this, even with this light rebuke, Mary goes on, she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you, though. <laughs> she knew her son. She, she knew he was an extraordinary, uh, uh, something was extraordinary about him. She had received the word from the angels that were announced before he was actually born. She had seen him grow up and how perfect his life was, how he never sinned. Can you imagine Jesus' half-brothers and sisters? You know what that had been like for them? You know, James and Jude were half-brothers of Jesus. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph saying, James and Jude, why can't you just be more like your brother Jesus? <laughs> He's just so perfect in every single way. So, so she knows about her son. And so so, so she so she says to the servants, do what he tells you. And in verse 6, Jesus tells us that there are six stone water jars. These aren't little cups that you put tea in. These are not little jars. These are Each one of these weighs 20 to 30 gallons, I'm talking 100, up to 180 gallons of water. And and these were actually used for Jewish purification. There there were Jewish purifications that would take place under the Old Testament law, and and that's what these would have been used for. And so they take them, and Jesus tells them to take these jars for Jewish purification, purification and fill them with water. And what do they do? They go and fill them, but they don't just fill them, they fill them all the way to the brim. Like it's just to the top, to the exact brim. And then after they do this, Jesus tells them to draw out some of the water and give it to the master of the feast. The master of the feast would have been one of the, the ones who maybe are in charge of the festivities. And it says he tastes the wine that's given to him. And notice what he, what, what he says. Notice what he says in verse 10. And he said to him, he, he goes to the bridegroom, And he says to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. And then it ends in verse 11 by telling us this was the first sign that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifest his glory and his disciples believed. It's interesting that Jesus' first sign is that a wedding, isn't it? But really, when you read the Bible, it's really not that interesting because there's so much imagery in the Bible about Christianity and the gospel and marriage, all throughout Christ and the church. There's going to be a supper in the new heaven and new earth that, that, that we're called, and the bridegroom, and all of this language about how marriage and the gospel connect. So it really shouldn't surprise us. But the question might be, what what does this story about this wedding have to do with us today? What I like to do with the rest of my time is share four points of application with you. They won't be on the screen, I'm sorry. So I'll say them slowly and repeat them. The first one is, the first sign shows that Jesus' agenda is above our agenda for him. The first sign shows that Jesus' agenda is is above our agenda for him. It's so interesting that Mary comes to Jesus, right? Her firstborn son. She raised him, saw him walk, changed his diapers, all all of that that happened. And she makes this request of Jesus and he says to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. What we see here is that the agenda of God, get this, will never take a back seat to the request of the earthly desires of man. Mary seems to possibly, as we said, be asking because she's embarrassed for those who, who are not the wedding. Maybe she's working the wedding. Or like I said, maybe even she's, she, she's like, do this miracle so that everybody will see you're the Messiah. The, the whole place will see it. And Jesus is like, Potentially, he's like, man, I, I, I didn't I'm not just here to fix situations with weddings or maybe even he's like, you know, I'm not going to do because he, he knows he does a miracle, but he doesn't do it for everybody to be able to see it. Right. It, it, it's kind of secretive. And so he's like, I'm not doing it now for everybody, whichever it is. The main point that we need to take away is, is that Jesus's agenda is the agenda that he goes by. Yes, we can go to God in prayer. Yes, we can ask God for things in prayer. Yes, we should go to God in prayer and trust God and ask things of our God. But ultimately, at the end of the day, God is going to do what God wants to do, which continues to spread his mission and his agenda for the world. And so I guess the question to us this morning is, and even a question to me, is do our prayers reflect that? Does everything that you and I ask God for, if it comes to pass, only affect things in our lives? If God was to answer every prayer that you're praying right now, would the world actually look any different? Maybe for some of, maybe a few sick people would be healed. Maybe somebody would have a new job. Maybe, maybe somebody's uh, kids' college uh, choices would be picked. Maybe that nagging person that you work with, that you wish you didn't work with, wouldn't work there no more. I don't know. But, but, but would the world actually look any different? Brothers and sisters, yes, we are to request things of God. We're also supposed to pray prayers that bring about the greater agenda that God has for the world, for everything, the whole cosmos to be renewed for the glory of God. I hear you guys are... Now at the place where you guys are starting to support missionaries as a church, you guys are taking good steps, and that's just amazing. By the way, just I can just say that to you that that's just not normal for a church to be a year old and is already supporting missionaries. Like I want you to know, what's happening here is a grace of God, but it's not happening everywhere. So you should thank God and praise God for what He's doing here. But my question is, as you're doing that and you're thinking about that, is this changing our prayers? I need to hear this as well. It's so easy to only pray about things that affect my surrounding circumstance and not think of the greater world and what God is trying to do in the world. And so I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, I would encourage myself to pray big prayers, prayers that see God's glory spread throughout the world and millions upon millions of people saved to one day gather around that wedding feast that we all look forward to. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus meets needs. But Jesus is ultimately about his agenda for the world. And that's, what's, that's, that's it. His hour hadn't come. The hour that he's looking to, this hour of him going to the cross and dying and raising from the dead. He wants to understand that his agenda is the agenda that must go. And all of us, including Mary, his own mama, must submit to his will and agenda. Brothers and sisters, let's pray prayers that move forward the agenda of the mission of God in the world. Amen. Secondly, Jesus' first sign shows that Jesus is superior over the old covenant. Jesus' first sign shows that Jesus is superior over the old covenant. Note, notice verse 10 again. The master of the feast says to the bridegroom, and the bridegroom don't even know what happened, just so you know. No, he don't even know what's going on here. He, he might not even know the wine went out, that this all happened. He might not even have known. I don't know. But anyway, the, the, bride, the, uh, the, uh, the master says to him, um, the master of the feast says, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus' first miracle is is changing water to wine. But remember, too, in verse 6, the text says that these were actually pots that were used for Jewish purification. Okay? Now, Jesus takes pots that are used for Jewish purification. Purification, which would have been under the old covenant, and he actually makes wine that's actually better than the first wine. And what I believe this is pointing to is that Jesus is helping us see in this sign that him and his covenant is superior to the old covenant. That now Jesus has come into the world ushering in a new and better covenant a, a, a new way, the, the way that the prophets long to see the, the law and the prophets all testify to the coming of this new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, there's going to be a new covenant that the prophets long to see it. Isaiah, some 700 years before Jesus comes, talks about the coming of this one who will, who will be crushed for us. And now, the all waiting for time has come. Jesus has now come and brought a new covenant that is so much superior to the old one. That under the new covenant, brothers and sisters, there's full final forgiveness of sin. Under, under the new covenant, God the Holy Spirit comes and indwells believers forever. The new covenant is superior to the old. But somebody's like, hold on, preacher. What about David? What about Moses? What about Isaiah? What about Jeremiah? What about Abraham? Were they not saved? Yes, they were saved, but get this. They were saved as they looked forward to what was promised. They didn't know everything that was coming. But they looked forward and believed all that had been revealed to them that was coming. And God, in his grace, saved them on credit because Jesus' credit was really good. See, some of our credit's kind of jacked up, you know, but Jesus' credit is perfect. Jesus' credit is all good. And God looked forward knowing that Jesus would die uh, for sin and save them on credit. But brothers and sisters, we are living in a time where Jesus come. The new covenant has been inaugurated. The light has been turned on in the room. And we look back at the cross, seeing what Jesus has done for us and seeing what the new covenant is pointing to. Brothers and sisters, we're not trying to get into Canaan as a land. We're going to a better Canaan, the new heavens and the new earth. And so Jesus coming brings that reality. But watch this. Wine in the Bible represents joy. Uh, 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 Psalm 104, 14 to 15 says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and the plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of men, and oil to make his face shine. And bread to strengthen man's heart. That that wine in the Bible is a sign of joy, and so here Jesus brings new wine and better wine and the best wine, which is just a picture of what are of the joy that Jesus brings with His coming. Luke two and ten through eleven. We'll, I'm sure you'll hit this around Christmas. He says, and the angel said to them, "Fear not." For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I bring good news of great joy. Brother or sister, if you are in Christ, you have access to a joy that the world can't understand. That the world can't even manipulate no matter what they have. That in Christ, you have joy of the forgiveness of sins and the future that you have in heaven, that no matter what you face now, it ultimately doesn't matter. Weeping may endure for a night, but what? Joy comes in the morning. We look forward because we know the end of the story. So, I don't care what you face on your job. I don't care what you face in your school. I don't care what you face when it comes to your finances or, or, or your marriage or whatever it is. You have an everlasting joy because it's connected to the everlasting Christ who died for you. And the question is how joyous are you? How joyous am I? Do we allow life circumstances? To kill our joy? Or are we able to have joy in the midst of life circumstances because Jesus never changes? And I'm going to tell you, when you're, when you're struggling with joy, when I'm struggling with joy, the best thing to do is to remember the new covenant that we have in Christ, that Jesus died and rose from the dead to secure for us a new heaven, a new home in heaven that one day will last Forever. Amen? This sign shows that he's got a better covenant and it brings joy. Notice thirdly. (coughs) The first sign shows the glory of Jesus. Look in verse 11. John says, This, the first of his signs Jesus did at Canaan of Galilee. And manifested his glory. Manifested his glory. Listen, the, the miracle that happens there is not ultimately to deal with the embarrassment of this family over wine. It's to show the glory of Jesus in the world. And I, I would say, I would suggest to you, that's what the, the vapor of miracles why miracles? Because they manifest the glory of God in the world. They manifest it. They 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 show the world the power of who God is. So and we're still we still experience miracles today, right? E- even now, I have a I have a son. I guess my wife posted something on Facebook this morning or last night. I saw it this morning about it's National uh, Premature Child Day or something like that. And me, and I have a son named Timothy, who my wife's water broke at. 28 weeks, and she spent a month in the hospital in the NICU, or in, I'm sorry, in the hospital. Gave birth to my son at 32 weeks. He's three pounds 15 ounces. He spent a month in the NICU, and I'm wondering, man, is he going to be all right? Is, this, is he going to have developmental issues, whatever, man? He's now he's huge. You know, he, he knows all his ABCs. He can count all all this stuff that he's doing. And, and that's, that is a miracle. God did that, and, and that should that should ultimately point me to give glory to the God who did it. But, you know, we do a lot. We, we, we experience miracles from God and we worship the miracle instead of the one that gave the gift. Christmas is coming up, right? And some of us have children. And, 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 and you know, my kids are so little, man, I'm not, we're not buying them. You could give my kids a box and they'd play with it and you'd be fine, not spend any money, right? But anyway, you buy gifts, Christmas. Imagine if you bought gifts for people and they got the gift and took it and just ran off somewhere. With the gift and just, oh, this gift is so wonderful. and so lovely. You're over like, I gave you the gift. Uh, you know, uh, right? That'd be, like, that'd, be, that'd be offensive, wouldn't it? Brothers and sisters, we do that all the time. We experience God's wonderful miracles in our lives that display his glory to us and the world. And we worship the miracle over the one who gives these miracles, though they're they're they're, they're for sh- they're for spreading the glory of God in the world, and I want you to know that that's actually God's main agenda. Even Habakkuk two fourteen says, "For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." Brothers and sisters, God's agenda is for His glory to spread through the entire world, and one of the ways that it shows itself is through miracles. But get this: if you're in Christ, you're a miracle. Because you would only believe on Christ through a miracle of the Holy Spirit. And so God is using you as one of his miracles to display his glory in your workplace, in your neighborhood, on your job, in your school, wherever it is. You are to be spreading the miracle of the glory of God as you live out the gospel before people. This this miracle shows the glory of God. And that's what our lives should be about. is showing off the glory of God in Christ as, a, as being those miracles that God has done by making us new in Jesus Christ. Amen? What's that look like in your life? Would you say, or would I say, that people could look at my life and see the glory of God? Not the glory of me, not the glory of you, but the glory of God. Are we letting our light so shine that the world glorifies Jesus? Notice fourthly and finally, so I quickly take my seat. The first sign shows that some people believe And sadly, some don't. The first sign shows that some people believe. And sadly, some don't. Notice the text says, and his disciples believed in him. But it's interesting. It doesn't say anything about the servants believing. Here's the thing. Go back to verse nine. Verse nine. It says in verse nine, when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who drew the water knew. So the servants saw the miracle. But the text says the disciples believed in him. Brothers and sisters, but, 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 but that, that should make sense to us, but, although sadly, that you know that we have a miracle in Jesus Christ, that he died and rose from the dead. Amen? And there are people that believe and there are people that don't. And I want you to know if you believe, it's not because you're any better than those that didn't. It's because God decided to do a miracle in you. So that takes away all boasting and pride and arrogance of, of thinking, look at me, I'm so great and so awesome, I'm so holy, I'm so this, and those are really the wicked people over there. No, 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 no. We should be people that say, if it had not been, For God who was on my side, if it had not been for God who opened my heart to the truth of the gospel, if it had not been for God that took my heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh, if it had not been for God who took the oldness and made it new in me, I would be no different than them. And when we understand that, it changes the way we interact with people that don't know Jesus. There's a way in which we're able to love and care and share in a way that's not self-righteous and arrogant and prideful. Some people, you know, a lot of times we'll share the gospel and be like, oh, they just don't want to hear it. Now, somebody just don't want to hear us. Because <laughs> of who how we are and how we act. But brothers and sisters, God in this text does this miracle, and these disciples actually believe. Now, something else that's interesting is. Um, They actually, and and I don't, you know, I'm I'm thinking about, they they actually believed on Jesus, all right? They they followed Jesus in John chapter 1. And now they're walking with Jesus, but it says that they believed. And so they already had some belief, but it obviously increased their belief. And so don't you want to thank God that God even allows things to happen in your life that continues to increase your belief? you believe on Jesus if you're a Christian but God and his grace and goodness at times comes through and brings the word to life in a new way and and opens things up and we see people come to Jesus and we see all these things happen to just continue to increase our confidence in God and who Christ is God doesn't have to do another miracle he's already done the greatest by giving himself but God still chooses to do things that are miraculous but as we get ready to close and I, and I think about these people who didn't believe it makes me wonder man like if it takes a miracle if jesus's miracle um, takes a mir- another miracle of, uh, of god saving us for us to believe how much did that caused our prayers to change for lost people to know that, man, I, I can't do anything to save you. I can't do anything to make this person believe. I, I need to hear this myself. All this I need to hear myself. Like, but, but, but we need a we need God's miracle to work in the hearts of people. If Castleton community is going to look any different, we need a miracle of God's Spirit. If Dubai and, and where your mission work is and and vision trips and all that is going to produce any fruit, we need God's miracle to work in the hearts of people. If Indianapolis is going to look any different, we need God's miracle to work in people. And so I would tell you, brothers and sisters, let's keep sharing about God's miracle of the gospel and praying that God does a miracle in those who don't know him. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, the good news is, is that God did a miracle. He sent his son Jesus to die for sinners and rose from the dead. And the good news is that God can do a miracle in your heart that you can repent and believe on Jesus. So we plead with you to trust Christ and be forgiven of your sins through Jesus. As we close, brothers and sisters, this wedding at Cana gives us a lot, doesn't it? It gives us a lot to think about. So a couple questions I want to leave you with. How will you today rejoice in this week, how will you today in this week rejoice in the new covenant that Jesus brought into the world? No matter what your circumstances are. How will your prayers change for the things that you pray for? And how will you look this week to be a glory reflector of the miracle that God has done in you in Christ as we continue and wait on that day when we will sit at another wedding with Jesus, enjoying his presence. Even as we wait now, we continue to enjoy his presence though. Let's pray.